chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, after He spake long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. For the Bible says, as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God will stand forever. May He add His blessings to it. O Lord, Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask now, God, to give us grace to receive Your truth in faith and in love with understanding and give us strength to follow on the path You set before us. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. This morning I begin a series of messages entitled, The Offices of Christ. The offices of Christ. And I will talk about this morning his office as prophet. As prophet. But as I begin, I want you all to understand something. As powerful as sin is in this world, as overwhelming as it, its uh, restless attack continues on in our lives, the blood of Jesus Christ is still more powerful. In Christ, the chains of our captivity have been broken. And the light of His grace has been shown, and has been shown to us the way of freedom. But how has He freed us? How has Jesus Christ brought freedom to you and I? How has He secured this freedom? And the way He has done it, is by shedding His own blood. For He operated divinely and faithfully in what is known as your $25 word today, the Munich triplex. No, that's not something you take when you have a stopped up nose. But it is something you must understand. This is a historical, faithful Christian understanding and truth that not many today even will deal with. So the munis, M-U-N-U-S, new word, triplex, T-R-I-P-L-E-X. This is the only time I'm going to speak to you about it, and I'm only going to do it briefly. But the munis triplex speaks of the biblical revelation of the three offices of Jesus Christ. The munis triplex is that Christ is prophet, priest, and king. He is prophet, priest, and king. So if this was a seminary class, the next four weeks would be a series called the Munis Triplex. But since this is a church, the next four weeks will be the offices of Christ. How's that sound? That's a whole lot easier. So I went to church today and learned about the Munis Triplex. Is that a new government scam? Yes, you need a shot, a booster for the Munis Triplex. Soon they'll have Munis Triplex D. Who knows? But I want you to understand it is the teaching that Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king. We know 
that he is a prophet because the New Testament calls him a faithful witness. He is a faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead, which makes him a priest, the firstborn of the dead, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, which makes him a king. All of this is mentioned in Revelation 1 verse 5. And in the threefold offices of Jesus Christ, in this munis triplex, we are granted this marvelous truth. And here it is. The freedom from sin. That's what this Christian season, this Advent season, is going to be all about here at The Journey. Our freedom from sin. In this concept of the munis triplex. This is part of many of the evangelical reformed confessions that go all the way back to 1545 and John Calvin's sixth revision of his Institutes on Christian Religion. It is also found in the Heidelberg Catechism which teaches on the the Trinity of God. It is found in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 8 that speaks of Jesus Christ's ministry as the mediator. It is mentioned in the larger catechism. It says, why was our mediator called the Christ? Why was our mediator called the Christ? And it was because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and set apart for this purpose to execute, are you listening? To execute the office of prophet, priest, and king of his church. Now, when I deal with the office of king in two weeks from t- two weeks from today, you're going to see who he is the king of, and who is is the king on behalf of. And it is that one subject and its answer that has motivated me, I believe, by God to do this short little series. And so this, there will be a great crescendo when we come to the office of his kingship. To execute the office of prophet, priest, and king of his church in the estate both in his humiliation on earth and his exaltation in heaven. Because Christ operates when he walked on earth as an earthly prophet. He is still in heaven operating as a heavenly prophet. And he operates through the power and the message of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to explain all of those. This has, uh, there have been those of various stripes and creeds and ideas that have differing views on Christology, the study of Jesus, and they do not accept the idea that Jesus is a priest and a king. Only throughout history do the liberal theologians believe that Christ was a prophet. The other two offices they deny. But however, for us as a confessional people and as a pastor whose theology is covenant, those continue to use the munis triplex do so to reflect this conviction. And it's this conviction alone. Jesus cannot be understood as the Christ and mediator apart from God's covenant with His Israel of God. So you will not find this 
in the majority of evangelical churches that will even talk about the Munis triplex because the idea of interpreting Scripture, the hermeneutic, is different. But historically, we have history on our side. All the way back to the New Testament and the Old Testament and the great creeds and confessions of the evangelical church, particularly the branch that comes from Scotland and came here to America. So let me talk to you first about, number one, the office of prophet. The office of prophet. There's going to be two main points this morning with subpoints under them. The first main point is the office of prophet, and it is revealed here in Hebrews 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many years, in diverse manners, your King James will say, in the last days He spoke to us in His Son. We know that the Greek text here is telling us His Son is being modified by the noun prophets of old. His Son. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the world. As it says, by Him all things were made, nothing that has been made was made apart from Him. In John 1, which we've already read this morning, you see how it all fits together. What we've sung, what we've read, the Psalms, everything, it all goes to this point. And He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. And when He had made purification for the sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the office of prophet. Let me tell you, in the Old Testament, prophets predicted the coming of Christ as a prophet. You say, they did? They did. Write down Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and compare it to Acts chapter 3, verse 23. Deuteronomy 18, 15, and compare it to Acts 3, 23. We have the bud in Deuteronomy. We have the bloom in Acts. We understand what the Deuteronomy, Deuteronomic passage means. The Old Testament prophets were prophesying of a Messianic prophet. They were looking forward. Now we look back. They were looking forward to one they didn't know, but they spoke of it. And so what is, what is this prophetic office that Jesus did? Well, Jesus in Luke 13.33 speaks of Himself as a prophet. His Spirit is the Spirit of prophecy. He speaks of Himself as a prophet. He claims to bring a message from the Father. That's what the prophets did. They brought the message, the standard, the accusation, the judgment, and the pardon, and the means of all of that. The mind of God, the prophet speaks the mind of God to people. What does the priest of God do? The priest of God speaks the mind of the people to God. Right? Well, that's next week. And so what did he do? He claims to bring the message of the Father. Where is this? In John chapter 8, John 12, and John 14. John 8, 12, and 14. Jesus does this. He foretells the future in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. He tells what's going to happen in that terrible series, that terrible sermon. Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. He said, two will be in the field and one will be snatched away. Two will be in a bed and one will be gone. All of those things that are taking place. He foretells of future things. 
prophecy today in the New Testament that where you have the Ephesians 4.11 where it says uh, pastor, prophet, all of those things, apostle, that's a forth-telling prophecy. Forth-telling. This is a prophetic ministry in, in that I am forth-telling you the truth of the Word. But the prophet that Jesus is, is foretelling in Matthew in the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew chapter 7, we see that he speaks with singular authority as a prophet. His authority is not based upon anything else. It's singularly his. The last Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. Say, well, John the Baptist is in the New Testament. Yes, he is, but he's the last Old Testament prophet. Where did his authority come from? From outside of himself. He had an alien authority. He had an alien righteousness. It was extra nos outside of him. Jesus, it was radiant. It, was, it didn't reflect. John's prophecy reflected God's glory off of him. Jesus' prophetic word was radiating from, out, from, from the inside out. He had singular authority. And it is no wonder, therefore, that in several passages in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is recognized by the people as a what? A prophet. Now there had only been one prophet walking around during that time, and prior to that time, it had been 400 years since the last one spoke. So there had only been two prophets. John the Baptist. Everybody didn't know who John the Baptist was back then. But they knew he was a prophet. And then Jesus. Well, what was it about Jesus Christ that identified him as a prophet? Because they knew their Old Testament. They went to synagogue. They knew that. So a prophet then does this. Now listen. He receives divine revelation in dreams, visions, or verbal communication and passes them on to people orally or visibly. Jesus Christ said, I have said nothing to you that I have not heard my Father say. I have not done anything in front of you that I have not seen my Father do. I've got a question about that one day, but it's okay. There has to be some mystery. I'm still finite. He is infinite. His works may pertain to the past, the present, or the future. His, tax, his task was to interpret the moral and spiritual aspect of the law for the people. That's what his job was. The prophet came and his, his task was singular to interpret the law and its moral aspects upon the people to show them what they're to do. Well, Christ functioned as a prophet already in the Old Testament. Look over with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. He has already functioned this way. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. It says, Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. Look at verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within in them was indicating. Now, wait a minute. Look at that. You think about the prophets of old, and it says in here, what was the Spirit that was in them? In Isaiah, in David, in, in Elijah. 
in Elisha? What spirit was in them? John the Baptist, what spirit was in them? This text tells you. Who was, moder- who was moderating, mediating, and motivating? Ha <laughs> that, that worked. I didn't write that down. Someone write that down. Who was doing it? Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You say, ah, you mean can I find Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes, in the spirit of the prophets. So he's already moving as a prophet. And so now he has appeared. He did it while he was on earth and continued it by the operation of the Holy Spirit through the apostles after the ascension. And yet he continues to do it still today in the men of God that faithfully preach the word and are the called of God, the real men of God. Even now it continues through the ministry of the word as it's proclaimed. And that's why there is a great warning that all ministers must preach only the Word of God because there is nothing else to preach. A false minister does not preach the Word of God exclusively. There is nothing else to preach. So Christ is a prophet. Deuteronomy 18.18, listen to this. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren... Like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak unto them all that I shall command. That's Deuteronomy 18, 18. Luke chapter 7, verse 16 says, And fear took hold of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet is arisen among us, and God has visited his people. How do you say that in Hebrew? Emmanuel. So they proclaimed it. So the first thing, that's the first part, the office of prophet. Number two, the ministry of the prophet. The ministry of the prophet. As a prophet, Jesus pronounces, if you don't get anything else, get this. As a prophet, Jesus Christ pronounced an end to all, say all, all our sin. He didn't pronounce an end to all our sinning. But He did pronounce an end to all of our sin. Amen? I would prefer that He pronounced an end to all of our sinning too. But greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. So we got to look forward to the being Christian, as we say, the sanctification, the Christianizing of the Christians to become more so. And so here you have this idea, I think I'm going to start preaching. What you have here is the prophet was the mouthpiece of God to his people. Now listen, look at me. The prophets did not speak to the Amalekites. They didn't speak to the Girgashites. They didn't speak to the Mosquito Bites. They spoke to the that was funny. They spoke to the people of God, His people. God's word is for His people. He didn't speak like the like the Latter Day Saints says that He did. He came over in a big old bubble, and came to South America, and then He moved up through Panama Canal and came up into Central America, came through Texas. He didn't go to Texas. He went to Arizona. And then he went over and and all of that stuff. And Joseph Smith found the discs and all of those kind of things and the holy underwear and all of those things are going on. And that Jesus is this latter-day something. We have a Greek word for that. What is it, class? Baloney. 
Now I'm going to tell you something. The Mormons would not be offended by me saying that. Because they say, well, he just doesn't believe yet. And I'm not. Because I've received the message from the one who is the prophet. And it's not Joseph Smith. It's not Moroni. It's not Moroni or Morophi either. Hey, you know, have you ever met a person that's a moron? Sometimes oh, Ainsley raised her hand. Have you ever met a moron? There's some people more off than more on. Listen, as God's mouthpiece, God's prophets spoke the words of indictment against the people for their sin. Where do we see this? By the Messianic prophet himself, Isaiah. Isaiah 1 verse 4. Isaiah 1 verse 4. And what does he do? He calls them to repentance. When the spirit of prophecy lands, well, when, when the Holy Spirit indwells the apostle Peter, he picks up what Isaiah did. And when he preaches after Pentecost, he said, Jesus Christ, whom you, whom you crucified, commands that all men everywhere repent and believe. That is the spirit of prophecy. That is, that is a prophetic word. And but Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 2, go look at it. Go look at it. Go over here or I'll look at it. Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. Look at this. I, I could sing it from Handel's Messiah. It says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says the God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her and her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed and she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's, it's just doing it in my head. I'm about to bust out into it, but I'm trying to get finished. A prophet doesn't just issue the indictment. He issues the pardon. Jesus as the final and sufficient, perfect prophet has done all of these. These four things you might want to write down. He came not just proclaiming the Word of God, but that He was the Word of... He is the Word of God. John 1.1 1, 1. He wasn't just proclaiming the Word of God. He is, not was. He is the Word of God. John 1.1 1, 1. He is the Logos. Number two, He came to the world because of sin. Matthew one twenty one. Matthew one twenty one. Jesus didn't come to the world because of righteousness. Jesus didn't come to the world because everything was right and people were on their best behavior. He came because of sin. Number three, He proclaimed our need to repent and believe in Him. Mark one fifteen. Mark one fifteen. He proclaimed our need to repent and believe on Him. In Colossians one fourteen. Glory to God. He proclaimed our pardon and our forgiveness of sin. Let me just look at it. Colossians 1.14 See, we're pardoned sinners. That's why it's so important to me that we do the confession of sin each week corporately, thought out on my part to come and, and, and to pray that. It's to remember that, yeah, we're sinners. That's why we're here. But we're pardoned by God's grace. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, listen to this. It says this, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Verse 13 says, For He rescued us from, us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Well, that's what He did. That's what He did. The guy that wrote that was the one that was blinded on the Emmaus Road. Paul. I mean, he got it. He realized it. And so as we talk about the ministry of the prophet, under this, I want to give two subpoints: The way and the why. Very quickly, the way and the why. The way which God communicated, or the way which God communicated Himself and His will to men under the Old Testament was done through the prophets. And here's where their letter A comes from, their authority. God delivered His mind under the Old Testament through the prophets. They were people, they were men, chosen of God that had been qualified by God for the office of revealing the will of God to men. That's their authority. Their authority is not earthly. It's heavenly. And no man can take honor, this honor on himself. And no man that's a prophet would. No man that's a prophet would. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. You only take that honor if you're called. And whoever God calls, He qualifies. Write that down. Whomever God calls, He qualifies. That's His authority. The way He communicates is with authority. Letter B the way he communicates has to do with his audience. Who was the audience of the prophet? In the Old Testament, the audience of the prophet, first of all, was the fathers. The fathers. To all of the Old Testament saints who are under that time, God favored and honored them with a much clearer light than that of nature under which the rest of the world was left. It's what Romans chapter 1 talks about. He communicated to, to the fathers. This is mentioned here in this text. And the order in which He spoke to men in those times went before the gospel. In those past times, He spoke to the ancient people of various sundry times and diverse manners. Look what He says here in Hebrews. Let me go back to Hebrews. There we are, Hebrews, look what he says. And, and so he spoke long ago to who? See it? The fathers. In the prophets, in many portions, diverse manners and times, in diverse ways. Your King James says. Prophet in many portions and in many ways. Alright? What does that mean? It means simply this, the patriarchs, Moses. It means he spoke to Moses about, about a Redeemer and began to open his mind gradually about a Redeemer that would come. He spoke about it to Adam. 
in Genesis chapter 3, you find what's called the, um, the proto-gospel, the proto-euangelion, uh, the first mention. And so you have uh, Adam, that is that the Messiah would come through the seed of a woman, uh, to Abraham that he should spring from his loins, to Jacob that he should be of the tribe of Judah, to David that he should be of his house, to Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem, to Isaiah that he should be born of a virgin. He spoke to the fathers, the prophets. That was the audience. The patriarchs. The patriarchs. The fountains of faith on which we still stand. And then in diverse manners or in many ways, what does that mean? God communicated to those prophets at that time through what is known as the elapsis, I-L-L-A-P-S-E-S, the elapsis, the elapsis of His Spirit, I-L-L-A-P-S-E-S, elapsis of His Spirits. He did this through dreams, visions, an audible voice, by legible characters written by his own hand. We see this where he wrote on a wall uh, as he wrote the Ten Commandments also on the tablets. And some of these are different accounts. In Numbers 12, for example, it says, If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. So not, not so with my servant Moses. I will speak I will with him. I will speak mouth to mouth even apparently, and not in dark speeches. So the audience of the prophetic words that are passed down speaking of the Messiah, of the Messiah speaking through the spirit of the prophets, the audience were the fathers, the fountainheads of our faith throughout the New Testament. And what was all of the prophecy about? The Redeemer, the Mediator, the Anointed One, the Christ. They didn't know but they knew there was one to come. What made them be faithful people, the way they demonstrated their faith is they believed it. They believed it. They believed these words were of God. He says one is coming. So they had a word for it called in the Mashiach HaMashek, the Messiah. The Greeks called Him Christ. Christ means mediator. And that's how He rules as king. It's the mediator king. But that's two weeks from now. And so why? I've shown you the way he communicated. He communicated with authority and to a particular audience. And then the second point under the second major heading is the way he communicated, or the why he communicated. The way that God communicated his mind in the New Testament, in the last days, as they are called, towards the end of the world or the end of the Jewish state, whatever it is, the way that He has chosen to communicate prophetically is through the voice of Jesus Christ in person. And so you have the gospel revelation given by Jesus. And so let me tell you something about this so I can explain something to you that maybe some of you have wondered about the 11 years I've ministered amongst you. Jesus Christ ministry was a ministry that finished revelation. It was a finishing revelation. A finishing revelation. He was the finisher of it. He gave forth in the last days of divine revelation 
that which nothing can be added to. But the canon of Scripture, therefore, is settled and sealed. There are many today that believe in this concept known as, as an open canon, that God has revealed His Word in the Scriptures, but then He also goes about revealing His words and thoughts and deeds in, my, in the minds of people that believe they receive that from Him, and it is called revelation. That is not true. And the reason it is not true, it's not because I said it's not true, it's because the very purpose of Jesus was to pronounce tetelestai. It's finished. He's the finisher. He's the closer. God saved the best for last, the very last one. And so when Jesus spoke and was finished speaking, it's all over. I mean, He's the last word in Revelation. It's over. He's the beginning word in Genesis. Let be light. But He's the first word. He's the Alpha and He's the Omega, the last word. But what I want you to understand is this. Today there's the idea that says, now God told me that I should take Elm Street instead of Hickory Street because God knew that I needed to go that way because there's been a skunk run over and it would make my new car smell bad. I've got, that's that Greek word again. But did you know that that is one of the reasons all the way back to the time of the Continental Reformation, back during the time of Martin Luther and then the Magisterial Reformation, there was a group of people that were killed terribly over the issue of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They were called the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists, the Southern Baptists are not Anabaptists but uh, a lot of their leaders are. Uh, um, Dr. Patterson, who signed my Ph.D. diploma, I mean, we all talk about him as an Anabaptist. Um, sometimes wonder if he really is because he, he doesn't believe what I, I know that they believe. But see, the Anabaptists believed that the canon was not closed. And so part of the reason the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, the, uh, uh, the great confessions that came out of Scotland were in response to the Anabaptists who, were, who had a foot in, the, in the, not just the uh, hysterical, but they had their foot in, in the heretical. This is going on today. It's one reason that you're seeing the churches empty out because people are being told something and they're leaving the churches because of failed expectations. And there's no bigger loss happening than amongst the charismatics. People still not getting their healing. And they're tired of being told they don't have enough faith. The Bible says if you have a faith of a mustard seed, anything can happen. But I'm going to tell you what, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, God can use that back pain and He can use that hung nail and hang nail. He can use that brain tumor. He can use anything for His glory to teach you about yourself and Him. If you want to become a more loving person, God's going to send into your life somebody very unloving. If you want to become a very patient person, God's going to send into your life somebody that's going to exercise everything you need to bring about restraint. If you, want to, uh, if you want to become holy in this life, 
God is going to send into your life the most depraved things that you learn. And He's going to make you wait because He who began a good work and He's faithful to complete it. But we want it now. We think God's J.G. Wentworth. It's my money and I want it now. It's my healing. I want it now. It's my bank account and I want it now. It's my deliverance and I want it now. In the name of J.G. Wentworth, come out! That is, that's the culture today. It's the Christian culture. It's not the biblical culture. That's why I tell you, and I've said this to you before, I don't want you to have a Christian worldview because I don't know what that means. I want you to have a biblical worldview. I know what that means. But if you think there's another revelation outside of this, well, then you're going to be confused. So here's the reason I tell you the canon is closed. It's because Jesus was the finisher. He was the closer. That doesn't, take, that doesn't take any intellectual gymnastics to understand that. You're not betraying some kind of heartfelt experience you've had by believing that. You're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that He was sufficient. And so He finished the revelation. But not only that, He is the foremost revelator. He finished revelation. He is the foremost revelator. And the revelation which God has made by His Son, the most excellent messenger was the one... Jesus Christ that was sent into the world. And He says, In the last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. And He, listen, He, verse 3, is the radiance of His glory. No prophet, no preacher has that. He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. Amen? That's Jesus There doesn't need to be anyone after that. That's Christ. That's why the sacrifice was done when He said, It is finished. And His nature, and He upholds all things by the word of His power. Do you know what that means? That speaks of His omnipotence, His all-powerfulness. That means He is not subject to anything that he has to change. He's completely immovable. Nothing can change him. There is no power, there's no behavior, there's no nothing that can change him. And it is all by his what? W-O-R-D. Alright? Weapon of radical devotion. The Word. So let me show you this. Four things and we're finished. Under this, the finishing revelation and the foremost revelator, I want to tell you why he's the foremost revelator. Four points and I'm through. One is the glory of his office. The glory of his office. God appointed him in Hebrews chapter 1. It tells us he appointed him to be heir of all things. He was equal to God the Father. Yet he did not consider something to be grasped, so he emptied himself and became a man. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, the kenosis. And he made himself as a God-man and the mediator. The mediator. He was appointed by the Father. And listen, listen to what this says. Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth is given to him and all judgment is committed to him. It's Matthew 28, 18 and John 5, 22. That's the glory of his office. God appointed Him heir of all things. By Him God made the world. And that, I think that's amazing to me. 
Jesus Christ died for His creation. He let His creation staple Him to the cross. That's amazing. He upholds all things by the word of His power, this Bible says. Look, you can, you can plan and figure out and try to figure out the why and the where and the what behind everything that you hear. Devil under every rock, behind every tree, everything. You can try to figure it out. All the questions. But I would tell you this. I'd rather you spend your time, instead of arguing, learning the truth. God upholds everything by His Word. He takes care of His people and He takes care of those who don't. He takes care of His people and He takes care of those who don't because of the Word of His power. Number two, the glory of His person. You have the glory of His office, the glory of His person. The person of Christ who was able to execute such an office. Listen what it says in verse 3. It says, He was the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of His Son, of His person. Jesus said, you, you say you haven't seen the Father, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wow. One day. <laughs> Faith will, you know, we sing it as well with my soul. When that trumpet blast goes off, you're not going to need faith anymore. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. And faith will give way to sight. You'll see Him. And the great thing is He'll see you. What a thing. What a thing. Even so, Lord, come. Come now. He is in person the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And He has the same nature as God. The personal distinction always supposes one and the same nature. The person of the Son is the glory of the Father. So you say, no one has seen the glory of God and lived. Well, that's in the Old Testament. But the glory of the Father is the Son. That's why when I gave the invocation this morning, I talked about His names. You are the bread. You're the gate. You're the shepherd. You're the way. You're the life. You're the light. You're the truth. It's through you that we may learn to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It all goes together, worship. The worship of God, you say, well, this is strange how you do it. It's like it's, it's the way it's commanded in Scripture. It's not strange. Anyone can do it. The person of the Son is the true image and the character of the person of the Father. Being of the same nature, we must bear the image and the likeness and beholding the power of His wisdom and His goodness of the Lord. It was all seen in Christ. And so it says in this verse, it says, He that hath sent, has seen the Father, or it says in John 14, 7 and 9, it says, He that's seen the Father has seen the Son, or He that's seen the Son has seen the Father. And then you have this third one, the glory of His office, the glory of His person. This is the second to the best part, the glory of His grace. The glory of His grace. The glory of the person of Christ, he proceeds to mention in this passage the glory of His grace. His condescension itself is glorious. The fact that God came to earth to tell the story eyeball to eyeball, face to face, flesh to flesh, bone to bone, He came. And so by Himself He purged away our sin, and that is by the proper innate merit of His death and bloodshed, by their infinite intrinsic value that is in Christ Jesus, 
our very suffering was taken on in Himself. And in so doing, He made atonement for our sin. Propitiation. He satisfied the anger of God and He satisfied the righteous requirements of God. And it's good forever. It can never be changed. It's finished. It's no light, no more need of revelation. It's been done. He finished it. He's the great finisher. He's the foremost revelator because of the glory of His office, the glory of His person, the glory of His grace, and listen, the glory of His exaltation. The glory of His exaltation. From the glory of His suffering, we are at length led to consider the glory of His exaltation. When by Himself He had purged away our sins. Listen to this. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now Revelation chapter 5 tells us that He didn't just sit down at the right hand. He sat down on the right hand. The right hand of God is the hand of judgment. It is the hand of wrath. But it's also the hand that would reach and grab a man's thigh when a covenant was made. If Jesus Christ is sitting facing the same direction as God the Father on the right hand of God, then no doubt the right hand of God is touching the thigh of Jesus Christ, thus again speaking of the covenant of God, not the dispensations. And so, how does He sit? He sits as one whose work is done. You don't sit down. I'm going to sit down in just a minute. I'm ready to sit down. But I'm going to sit down because the sermon is done. The worship is over. Jesus Christ sat down because it is what? Finished. The next time He stands, it's going to be because Jesus hears these words. Listen to me. Go get them. Go get them. And He's been waiting so long because you know why He wants to come get you and I? Because you are His reward. You're His reward. You say, I don't understand. Jesus Christ is going to come back to the earth and He is going to take those that have died in Christ and that those are alive in Christ. It's all going to be over. It's sheets, the perusia, it's the end. He's taking them to the Father. As He gave His life for the Father, for, the, for His children, God then is going to establish the great white throne will be done. The earth and the heaven will be destroyed. The lost will be judged. The devils and the demons will be consigned to hell. The saints will have already been blessed at the Bema. And then the saints will judge the angels. And then... God will give the saints to Jesus as His reward, completing what is known as the eternal covenant of redemption that started before time. And as it says in Star Wars, the circle is now complete. And it will be completed. Truett didn't even understand that. Listen to me. Having assumed our nature and suffered in it on the earth, He has taken it up with Him to heaven, to the Ancient of Days. Look at me. Listen. He has taken it up to heaven, to the Ancient of Days. And there, 
before the Ancient of Days, the accuser came. This is in Ezekiel. The accuser came. And prophetically, we see that even in Ezekiel, it speaks prophetically of what would take place at that very moment at Calvary. And before the Ancient of Days came the Lamb of God with the flesh and blood of humanity and all of its sin. And the accuser came and the Ancient of Days said, Jesus wins. And when that was pronounced, the next thing that happened was Easter. There is no need for anything else because of the glory of His exaltation. And so He is the foremost revelator. You have the glory of His office, the glory of His person, the glory of His grace, the glory of exaltation. Why? Why is this so important? Because Jesus Christ is the prophet who has made an end to our sin. Amen? Next week we will do the priest and the king. And then on Christmas Sunday morning, we will do the presents. We will do the presents. And Trish like, oh, we're going to get more presents? No, presents, not presents. So, would you bow your heads?